Listen up, Umi. This is a podcast with the most ducker. This is Forge the Narrative. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Forge the Narrative. My name is Paul, your host. I'm joined by Adam Kimmelary. G'day. Tanya Gates and Red Powell. Hey, everybody. What up? Finally, the old world has returned. Took it to long enough. Yeah. <laughs> It you did. just can't, cannot make these Warhammer fans happy. Oh my, I think this is actually going to make a lot of people happy. I know there's a lot of enthusiasm around this, which is cool. The posts that the, the, the Games Workshops make and, and the other creators make just light up with people that are brimming with excitement for Warhammer the Old World. And I want to tell you, read through the rules, uh, it is very familiar in a lot of ways, but this ain't your granddaddy's fantasy battle. <laughs> uh, it is a fresh new take with a lot of brand new stuff into what we know and love about the this rank and flank system that some people you know literally came up with um you know it was the first game that a lot of people played and they've gone other other places since well it is back everything you know and love has returned with some extra spice um and a lot in a lot of ways um and a lot of things have been modernized out of this a lot of the the, the old ways in which we would play a battle have been you know, change to bring up to, to modern customs, modern sportsmanship expectations and things like that, that have been enshrined That's what I like. in this rule book. Oh, I should, well, I like a lot. I mean, I like, I like, well, I shouldn't even qualify. I like all of it, but there's some things in here talking about even movement and things like, you know, being forgiving when you are right on the edge of the board and that kind of stuff is like all, all kind of factored into the rules to where, you know, you can kind of play smooth. When did y'all start playing? Like, you know, for reference. I'm not telling you. No, I want to hear it. Tell it. Date yourself, Paul. It's a new year. New age, old man. Let's yeah, go. It's super early. Like in the uh, fantasy battle, um, had to have been 93, 94, something like that. Man, yeah, that was a while ago. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, that was a long time ago. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a, it was a long time ago. And so the you know the ranking up of, of things i didn't know how to play i did when i first first game i played they're like deploy your cast warriors i'm like cool here's my format you know basically put them on the table like no you have to rank those up i'm like what <laughs> i had them skirmish i had, i played them like a skirmish unit i was playing one unit of chaos warriors in a that campaign works for some. that uh yeah right it's but not chaos warriors nope, uh, anyway not. i since came around very much enjoyed the game uh my original my beginning faction was chaos warriors of corn back in the day wow did you paint paint them uh what would now be known as blood angel red <laughs> no <laughs> oh wow does it the lineage go back that far. Yeah, it everybody's burgundy connection here. Burgundy and black <laughs> yeah. is what I did. I actually tried a uh, like a quartered uh, paint scot style of, of burgundy and black. Huh. Yeah. And what about you, Adam? Red, yeah. So I started forty. So the first first product I ever bought was a Space Marine Sergeant with a pl- yeah, yeah. It was it was a pewter model with a plastic um plastic shoulder like plastic ball pistol shoulder um and so that was i believe second edition i think i was seven or eight years old is like 90 94 95 and i think that was was that third edition or fourth edition fantasy because i remember i got the for christmas one of my brothers got a fantasy starter set and i got the and me and my other brother we gave up all other christmas to share the second edition starter box for 40k which came with the was the, the cardboard cutout death dread i believe yeah 
was second edition one. Um, so yeah, I was a wee old lad of yeah seven or eight years old, and uh, yeah, so we played with both. Like we unpacked and we built all the the fantasy models. We built all the forty k models, and yes, we did play them versus each other. We, it was it was in the you could do that back then actually <laughs> the the multiverse. Uh, but then um, I truly got back into it in, at the end of seventh edition uh, fantasy, and then played all the way through eighth edition and the end times. Oof, what, a, what a time. Tanya, what about yeah. your Age of Sigmar, or did you play any fantasy at all? No, I did not play uh, Warhammer Fantasy Battles. I uh, started with 40k, and then that was right at the time where people were, like, burning their fantasy battle uh, armies <laughs> online, and I was just like, that's a bit extreme. I, I could have probably bought those models instead. Um, but oh, yeah, look so, at them now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I bet they're, you know, kicking themselves for that. Um, but yeah, I never really got to experience fantasy battles. I've never really played like a rank and file type miniature game before. Um, so yeah, that's, we uh... talked a, we talked a bit about rank and file and those are because you have to actually create ranks and, uh, formations, you know, tight marching things with your, with your mm. armies, and we can describe them here in a minute, but that's, that was something that was specific to those, um, reenactment type games it was yeah fantasy's always been that bridge between the historicals and uh the fantasy ip kind of the historicals being you know you'd think about the napoleonic kind of stuff i i, I do riff on that at some point i've been mean, like you know every hobbyist gets to an age where they can either go into model trains or napoleonic historical battles it's, it's, it's <laughs> coming it comes the choice comes for us all <laughs> but uh uh yeah definitely uh the rank and flank style game kind of probably kind of spawned from that genre and of course the napoleonic kind of stuff has been around for hundreds of years um you know and, and start it started off as a, as i believe you know a way for people to envision battles to envision battles and demonstrate them and, and do them in demonstrations and plays and how things happened and all the historical you know things people wanted to show off in courts and kings and all you know impress people with their with their tactical acumens and now we do it yep uh some of the I stuff we were talking about i don't know if we necessarily about. impress anybody but sure um, <laughs> i'm impressed red you always impress me <laughs> Uh, what we were talking about a couple of minutes ago is, you know, talking about kind of making a smooth experience. You know, we talked about this, we're talking about the um, Legion Imperialis book. You know, they, they, there's a whole section here or a paragraph about take backs and changing your mind or yeah. whatever, basically like, yeah. look, be, be friendly with your opponent. But once the dice are rolled, that's your thing, you know? And then, well, and I, I like this that they've laid down what they deem to be acceptable, which is generally what what the vast majority of players deem as acceptable as well. Like, you, you okay? You, I let's say I declare I'm going to shoot a unit at a unit, but then I'm like, oh, wait, right there, I'm I'm going to come back to that because I think I should do this one first. Um, that's fine according to the, the 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 terms here. But once I roll the dice for that activation, too bad, so sad. You've committed to the play. You've committed to the activation. The dice have been cast, and your fate is set. And that's pretty much what they've delineated here. And I just love that that's enshrined. And I think it's, it's one of the first pages of the rules once you get past the the opening kind of fluff and lore of the, this new old world setting. It gives you a section here that basically these are the general principles of how dice work, you know, what is artillery and scatter dice and things like re-rolls and whatever kind of set you up for, for terms that you're going to encounter or situations you'll encounter later on as you start uh, moving through the game. Templates are very much back. I'm telling you, why have I been hanging on to these orange templates forever if they're just going to keep releasing them in games? <laughs> That's true. <laughs> 
I do want to point out one thing. There is there is a lot of there is some consternation happening online because of course we've seen what's coming out in these fantastic new boxes, these army boxes that they're giving us, the Tomb Kings and the um the Bretonians, of course. And of course, if you want to buy your book separately, you can do that. Um, but a lot of people have been like, well, they give us all the dice, but they don't give us the artillery dice. Is the artillery dice gone? And I do not believe that is the case because in the dice section, which is the next page over from the one, the general principles, it says artillery and scatter dice, and it delineates what an artillery dice is. So I'm assuming. There are yeah, artillery dice there. in this game. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They, it's just not going to be, you know, they maybe they're sold separately or they're just, you know, trusting that people still got them. <laughs> so the, the the templates also, it's now, it, well, it's not now. I, I shouldn't say now. Like, we're going to be talking about what is a, what many will cons- consider a reskin of an older game. Yeah. Um, sure. But I, I don't know that that's necessarily the only way to look at it because, there are some of these fresh takes on here, and uh, I think what I'm about to describe with templates is the way that it, at least I remember it being when I was heavy into fantasy battle, is that you place the template wherever the template lands, anything wholly under the template is hit automatically, anything partially under the template, you have to roll to see if they're caught in the blast. Yeah. So uh, in 8th edition, um, and and certainly in other editions previously, I think 6th edition right now is generally agreed to be um, the, the the edition that a long-term fantasy players call the most complete or the most well-rounded or well-balanced. Um, at the end of 8th edition, especially with the end times, because things got a little bit spicy, um, there were quite a few what we would call now feel-bad interactions in the game, in the game of 8th edition. The overwhelming majority of those, and I haven't I've done extensive testing or I haven't you know read through every single paragraph to commit it to memory, but I've, I've skimmed through and read through just about everything in this rule book. And the overwhelming majority of the things people complained about in previous editions have been remedied. Cannons being a perfect example, cannons felt like laser beams. Like, why is this cannon just hitting every time? The old um, 10 from the back, 12 from the back sayings or whatever it is, um, you know, where you were just like 80% of the time if, if it, or, you know, 90% of the time, whatever it is, if you had a reroll from, a you know, an engineer or something, you would your cannon would just hit any xyz target well, and then it had decent good at guessing in too i mean you would basically like, yeah okay well i mean it's not really guessing when you've you've calculus it you know grab yeah, exactly right. where it is and then burn through half my unit i mean it happened well we've all been there. a lot of people remember like i could i i spent all this time and money getting a, a freaking dragon together and i painted it lovingly and i put it on the table i went second it got cannoned off turn one that felt really bad well <laughs> <laughs> Good news, cannons can only do a max of four damage now. They still hit pretty reliably, especially if you you know you play the averages or you got some redundancy. But they're not going to be one shotting. Well, also wounds have generally gone up onto things as well in the game. But um, you're not going to get one shot by cannons turn one every game like you used to be, which is which is awesome. And the, the template change is really good because it was a it was possibly a field bad mechanic as well. Cool, I spent you know all my lunch money getting these forty guys together to rank up, and okay, that's two templates and they're gone. Look, war um, <laughs> can be tough. Like if we're not yeah, war can be war can be rough. But they've definitely they've definitely made some efforts with new thinking and modern game design to make the play experience more enjoyable for both players. Because definitely, especially at the high levels of where Eighth Edition Fantasy left off, um, the games could get pretty swingy. Like oh, Purple Sun, we all remember those big super spells that could just one shot a unit, and there was no reason not to throw every dice you could at it, and just you risk the miscast those kind of things. A lot of that stuff has been has been dumbed down. I'm really happy to say it they've made some really clever choices um, the game goes to pretty good lengths to tell you what base sizes things should be on uh which is which is nice uh, that is not always yeah. the case this has been this has been um has been, has been quite quite a bit of consternation about this as well. Who's going to have to rebase their stuff? You know what what's going to change? Is it for the better? Is it for the worse? A hundred percent, I think. When 40k went to bigger bases, 
we all thought the game just looked better, right? It just looked better. <laughs> Am I crazy? No, you're not at all. Yeah. Um, and I feel like fantasy will be no different. Of course, you know, if you've been, if you've, if you've been, if, all right, if you've had a, a big fantasy collection sitting here for close to damn near a decade and you haven't had to touch it, retouch it, reskin it, redo nothing on it for 10 years. Fair enough. Maybe the bases need to, need to get out, need to get a refresh. I'm like in 40 K people, people have been making great products out there to like, we've called them base extenders. But in addition, fantasy gets around this problem as well by having movement trays. I would be very happy if you had units on smaller bases in the right sized movement tray for the time being, you know, to get, to get into the game. It does you know, go on to say that the designers that note, yeah, the, the designer note here is that for match play events, you have to have the correct base size. Now, what you're describing, though, is functionally uh, repping, you know, fizz repping the right base sizes. Yeah, exactly right. And to get into the game at this early stage, probably a, couple, a good couple of months where everyone should be given a bit of leeway to, to get up to speed and take their time and decide what they want to do. If they want to rebase a whole army, they want to start a new army. Everyone's going to be catching up to speed. I don't own a fantasy army anymore as much as it breaks my heart. Um, I had my... You, you set it on fire? Yeah, I melted it down, turned into Space Marines, mate. Primaris Marines. No, I didn't. I, didn't. Uh, I sold it. I had my like 8,000 points of Ogres, and um, after three years of not playing Fantasy, I sold that army to my great chagrin. And now I bought a new one. Yes! I've got, I've got so much Ogres sitting here, and I have, to, I, I have to paint about 20 more Space Marine models before I'm allowed to. I won't let myself yet. Because once I start, there's no going back. We know this. That's right. The game gives you an idea. In the game book, everything we're talking about right now is in the old world like rule book. The thing this, the, that you get, you need to have it to play, has a lot of information about what types of things to expect, like model types, you know, chariots, monsters, infantry, cavalry, war machines, so on and so forth. Gives you an idea about what to expect from them. Uh, then it goes on, you know, we're talking about those ranks where the models have to fit right next to each other. That's the part of the square bases as they all line up in a tight you know, group. Um, shoulder to shoulder, base tip to base tip for a certain amount of like length across and you get mm -hmm. length deep and the the number of ranks that you have past the first give you bonuses when that comes up, when you're dealing with things like leadership test and what have you. Certain uh, uh, like troop types or, or unit types have bonuses, a maximum bonus yep. of how many ranks they can count. The more elite you are, the less you're incentivized to have deep ranks. Uh, that makes sense. Yeah. But why would yep. you? <laughs> yeah, why would you? You're typically that's a very expensive <laughs> unit too, most likely as it gets gets bigger. Tells you how to deal with magic, uh, magic, different levels of wizards. This used to be used different levels of psyker. Yeah, I remember. I'm a level three psyker. I'm a level four psyker. You know, and now it's back to that. Because uh, a level one deal. wizards, wizards of the first level are those uh, of humble ability. Yeah, scrubs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Wizards of the fourth level. Wizards of the fourth level are the mightiest of all wizards. Uh, the very special of crowned monarchs within the realm of sorcery. Uh, now the magic change. So uh, what a lot of people remember or will have been playing in other, possibly other game systems that are similar or tried to pick up where, you know, fantasy left off. Uh, the magic phase was always kind of this, um, this me versus you mini game where you had a pool of dice, I had a pool of dice, and I had to try and get off the spells that I wanted while negotiating your ability to disrupt, dispel, etc. Um, certainly the disrupting is still there, but the phase has been, um, and I don't know if we covered this on a previous show, the phase has been broken down uh, in so that you kind of have magic that interacts you know, you shoot some magic off in the in the magic in, in the moving phase. Shoot off some missiles in the in the um, 
the sorry you do some uh, hexes and enhancing in the movement phase some you know magic missiles in the fight phase uh, sorry um shooting phase etc etc uh but uh, i miss my mini game guys after after <laughs> after talking to a couple of people who, who, who have access to this as well and been um kind of doing some practice games with each other they're like the magic is very different um and it's totally fine it's a very, very good still a very good system but uh man i personally am going to miss my mini game it was so much fun the mini game that was a like the when you would generate psychic dice from a couple of editions ago of, of correct games, yes, yes what yeah. you're correct. referring correct. to uh, I thought you were going to talk about how it's changed with the effect of dispels, and then you kind of get an army dispel. If uh, if you don't have any wizards, there's still ways you can interact with the magic. Well, that's exactly right. In previous, you know, previous um, iterations, what you do is you'd roll two dice. The higher of the two dice is how many your opponent gets. You get both dice combined, and then you get wizard levels on top of the dice rolls to try and, and pop things off. And, of course, you can try and channel and things like that. What used to happen is that a lot of the time, if let's say my only wizard is, like I said before, maybe it's a level four and a dragon, and first turn they cop a cannonball to the teeth, well, now I'm just at your mercy. I'm at your, the mercy of your magic phase. You just get to do whatever you want to me. Um, and I, I have a meager amount of, of dice and no bonus to cast. And so now they've really said, hey, if you don't want to take wizards, that's okay. You're still going to have a way to interact with this, this, these phases. Yeah, so the spells are broken down into several different categories now. The category of spell determines what phase of the game you can cast it in. Uh, I mean, I, I know you kind of mentioned that, but I wanted to, to spell out the like the granularity of things. So there's the enhancements and the hex spells are done in the strategy phase of the game. The turn is broken down into four different sections. The strategy phase, the movement phase, the shooting phase, and the combat phase. So the enhancements and the hex spells are cast in the strategy, the very first phase of the game. Uh, things like conveyance and magic missiles and magic vortex and uh, assailments are, are all done in different sections of the game. The way it works with casting spells, so, uh, well, we'll go with, uh, with the choosing a target. You know, that should be pretty self-explanatory. Uh, yep. You do roll 2d6. Yep. And then add your uh, wizard level to your roll. Just like you always always used to. And then, of course, then you refer to the casting value of the thing you're trying to get it off. That'll tell you if, you're, if your combined roll is higher than that, well, you've been successful. And then it's up to your opponent whether they want to try and dispel with one of their wizards or try a, a fated dispel, which is the dispel you get regardless of whether you've got a wizard or not. And how um, you, you get your spells is you roll a d6 for each wizard, nor on a number of d6 based on their casting level. Then you, you pick the corresponding thing you rolled from the School of Magic's chart. Um, you can choose to dump one of those spells to the default level of the lore. Uh, that is, that's something that's kind of been um, common up until very, very recently in the game. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the the cool thing about the faded dispel is that a double six always dispels. So even if you have no wizard and they just got some super like Arkan the Black juggernaut like amazing, it's it, it's you know the best caster in the game. You're like we still just smash our double sixes and say not nah, too bad, so sad, never heard of you. Get get that magic out of here. That's the faded dispel that you get. Like every everybody can, you'll have to have an army of wizards to to think or to play in this game. So as far as you're worried about, oh, is magic going to be super powerful? Magic has always been super powerful. It is neat. It's going to give you extra effects. <laughs> it's it, from from what I can tell so far, uh, it's just like anything else. If you invest heavily in magic, well, magic is going to be good. If you play an army with a bunch of guns, well, guns are going to be good. Um, <laughs> essentially, uh, melee is kind of good for everybody. Everybody's got kind of good melee units. Everyone's got every kind because of, well, charging and fighting in combat is kind of the bread and butter. You know, getting a flank, get you know, trying to maneuver, redirect, Scoring you know, objectives. scout. Yep. So 
it, it, it's it's where you put your points. And as we know, uh, it looks like we've been we're being incentivized to play a two thousand point game. That's that's the number that Games Workshop seems to be pushing us towards, which makes all the sense in the world that they want two thousand points to be the the standard across all game systems because that's what that it is what it is for AOS and forty k at the moment as well. So makes all the sense in the world that that would be around about to that. But unlike many other systems, we have a much more rigid or defined you know amount of units we can take per you know per thousand points and things we have to take in every army like i'm playing ogres i have to take some ogre bulls i have to take some stock standard ogres in every army no no two ways about it would where that is good is that i can paint miniatures yeah and i know they're going to be good in every single army because i've got well, that you know section how many guard- of, of uh troops or whatever will be basically mandatory in every army and you're going to be able to use them i'm going to get years of use out of those units of those models you know i can go and buy them with absolute confidence um oh you know how many guardsmen i, I have and don't use like oh man <laughs> yeah it's uh it's, it's rough being like going through you know through seventh edition where sometimes i would run 100 guardsmen or sometimes i'd run 150 guardsmen and then you know all through eighth edition loyal 32 baby no more no less let's not <laughs> yeah it's 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 nice it's good to feel that to be look at the book and be like well if i'm gonna just play with this essentially you know mode to play i i, I know I'm, i I can buy two three four boxes of this unit and bang years of mileage oh that's a great point uh the miscast uh we're still stuck on the magic stuff is uh back in full effect and if you roll a double one when you're doing your casting you roll on the table uh there's some things that can happen to you fun things fun, yeah <laughs> Can we still get sucked down the hole, as we used to call it? Uh, yeah, so the dimensional cascade. The summon magic breaks free, creating an ethereal tornado. Uh, center a five-inch blast template over the wizard. Every model, friend or foe, whose base lies underneath the template, uh, risk being hit uh, and suffering a strength 10 hit with AP of neg four. Now, so you're not going to go down the hole, which is good, because what used to happen is that after you put that large blast on, there was another thing where you said, on a four plus, your wizard ain't there anymore. They've been sucked into the void. They've been undone. They've been unheard of. Uh, and that used to suck so much. Um, uh, I mean, so, about as much as seizing the initiative did. Yes. Well, it was the only solace that I used to have when someone with a purple sun, that unit of ogres off the table, and they'd be like, go on, go down the hole, go down the hole, go down the hole, go down the hole. It's the only like, gotcha. I'll, I'll take it. I'll take it. It's something. Coming from an um, ogre player who no doubt always took the, the heart that caused people to miscast. So he's like constantly flushing wizards down the, the hole here and he's look, complaining. I get it. They know what they did. <laughs> I know what you did. With the <laughs> I know what I, I you did. did. I did do that. I, did I don't that. remember literally, this literally from... less than a month ago. I was doing that to people. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember this before, but there is now an outclassed in the art uh, section and in the unbinding uh, if a natural double six is rolled when attempting to uh, the type of dispel, uh, it automatically works, and you, and you mentioned that. But there's also outclassed in the art. If a natural double one is rolled attempting a wizardly dispel, the wizard is outclassed by their opponent's skill. Roll immediately on the miscast table to see mm-hmm. what fate befalls your wizard, changing the reference from cast to dispel and from perfect invocation to unbinding. So this is this is cool because the miscast table isn't as punishing as it used to be, but it's gonna go off more often, generally speaking. Like, because you can cop it now on, on when you're trying to dispel as well. So you're taking a risk at all times, and I like that a lot. But it's not going to be as calamitous as what I just described. 
So with that, um, taking wizards and then doing the wizardly duel, because that, that's the wizardly dispel, not the fated dispel. The fated dispel is something you can just do as an army once per turn if you do not have any wizards able to make a wizardly dispel. Or if you wish to avoid the risk, you may instead attempt a fated dispel, meaning you get to roll, but you don't add any wizard levels. Yeah to that process. So, so literally your you know your 300 400 point supercaster has got one wound left and you're like oh if i roll a double ones this guy is kaput and so are a lot of my chances in this game i'm just going to go for the regular one <laughs> i like that they give you the choice yep uh there are some different spell types of course there are some remains in play things still that's been something that uh, people be familiar with it's not an endless or i guess akin to what people might reference as an endless spell now you cast something and it stays around for a bit of time until probably until yeah. dispelled yeah yeah well and that that part and the unbinding like i mean i i think we started to see that in the later editions that those kinds of things coming into play and then of course with the uh, eternal spells is age of sigmar and that kind of existing thing that you have to you know dispel or what have you i think it's cool i think that the the, the it's an interesting way that they've gone about it. You know, I, I started playing, I want to say like in sixth or seventh edition of Warhammer fantasy. And so this really feels like we're, I mean, every edition of every game, you know, we talk about 40 K and how the new editions have come back and some people didn't like certain aspects of one edition or another. Um, I do like what the, the direction that they're going with this. And it, it I'm not going to say it feels new. I think there's, there, there's kind of a point to that. But I also think that the way that they've gone about things, they are streamlining it, making it accessible in a lot of ways, if that makes sense. Yeah, that is a big deal, isn't it? Because this is this kind of in style of game, the rank and flank kind of game, more so than many others, um, has always felt like it's been daunting for new players. And I, I've heard that for many, many years when I was playing actively, especially when I was doing um, competitive 8th edition and stuff. People would be like, I'd love to play, but it just seems like I would have to do so much work in order to get into it. Um, like it would take me so much to catch up to the people who've been playing the whole time. Well, the game's brand new now. You step in, and even even despite that, I think this is a much easier game to get your head around uh, than previous iterations. Agreed. Moving through the turns of the game now, like in the strategy phase, fleeing units. We have not had to deal with that. Here, yeah, here we go. Yeah, units when you're on the table could be kind of become you know shook. <laughs> Shook, aka wiped out. Well, they now, instead of just removing models, you know, if they fail test or whatever, the unit actually turns around and starts trucking it the other way. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can rally them, but there are some conditions. Like you have to, you know, meet certain conditions to be able to rally them and get them to stay on the table. Yeah, this is a very new thing, especially in the kind of the modern games we play at the moment, where this was always seen as one of those feel bad interactions. Where it's like, oh wow, my whole unit just failed a leadership nine rerollable and walked off the table, never to be seen again. Uh, and like that. <laughs> But it's such a core fundamental facet of this game system. And I'm, I'm really happy they kept it in here. They have made it less punitive, like especially um, losing a combat. Like if you get charged by your opponent, you lose. You don't automatically, if you fail, you lose your tip, just run away and get run down. Yeah, that can still happen, but you can just kind of bounce off each other and, and go in for another combat later. Um, so they've added some clauses and some, some extra T's and C's, I suppose, to make that happen. Uh, this is something to keep in mind. We'll, we'll, we'll get there as well. Uh, the movement phase. This is this is another kind of a 
uh, one of those big things I want to talk about is maybe take a, like a quick break, get a word from our sponsor and then come back and we'll, and we'll talk more about the actual kind of meat and potatoes of, of interacting with the game and how it's changed just a little bit, a little bit enough to, to kind of take some of the, the harsh well, edges off. If, 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 if you want to just know the, ba- what did I say last, I remember last episode, I've still got my big red book next to me. This is the big blue book now we're, we're dealing with. The big red book is the eighth edition one. How many pages, <laughs> how many pages is in this bad boy? 512. Okay. <laughs> We've we've now been dumbed down. I'm not saying dumbed down. We've been refined uh, down to a meager 352. Yeah, they've still named many that tune pages. in 352 pages. Yeah, 160 <laughs> odd pages have been cut, um, and you know it's still got plenty of fluff in here. Still got plenty of army showcase and stuff like that. But yeah, this big blue book it definitely looks like it's cut some of the fat out and has made it a much more streamlined experience. See you in a minute. FTN is brought to you by Discount Games Inc. Please visit them at www.discountgamesinc.com And don't forget to ask Jay about ways to save even more on your hobby projects. Hey everybody, we are back. Thank you all for joining us. Thanks for checking out Discount Games, our sponsor. Also, thanks for checking out our Patreon. That is another way to support the show. Click on the stuff, leave some five-star reviews, go to our sponsor's website get a t-shirt maybe if you want or uh you know come check us out on patreon the links are in the show notes really appreciate the folks that have done that uh we you know this is the first show of the new year and happy new year everyone i don't know if we we just jumped into it actually this is the longest <laughs> show did. of the year so far oh <laughs> uh, yeah he's right i don't like that one last, no yeah last year we like broke up into seasons and like the show it's like that was season two maybe may, is this season three we're gonna call this season three no nice. we'll run season we'll run this season two out until march again and then we'll do season <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we uh we shoot for uh, like three episodes a month uh, with a little bit of respite uh, into the, you know, get, keep the batteries charged up and keep going for all the shows. But we try actually with much, uh, you know, like we've been playing and excited about this stuff and doing the, all the other things that we do as many recordings as we possibly can get to and appreciate the folks that are on this journey with us. It means a whole lot. Thank y'all and happy new year, everybody. Hope y'all had some great time uh, over you know, what a lot of people call the holiday season and are getting back into the swing of, I guess, everyday life with us as well. These strategy phases where we left off uh, from the previous one, where we talk about how to, you know, do some of the spells, start of the turn with your fleet, do something with your fleeing units. <laughs> the concept of a unit turning around and going the other direction uh, now seems so, seems so uh, antique. Hmm. Seems novel. Yeah, but at the same time, it's like there, when you're starting to play the game and you're maneuvering around the game and you're having to deal with um, like turn radiuses and stuff like that, which is kind of what we'll talk about here in a minute. Those extra things, i.e., you know, troops or opponents' troops or whatever, on the tabletop become an obstacle for you that you have to figure out how to navigate and negotiate around. Uh, I will say, as as somebody who was not around for Warhammer Fantasy, but has been around people who have been in that sort of generation of gamers, um, a lot of them used to complain about like wheeling around different obstacles on the battlefield. And reading through the rulebook, I was like, this doesn't actually sound as bad as they made it out to be. So have things actually changed in the way that you move your units in this edition? A little enough to where I think a little bit has changed, but I think that that angular stuff that you're talking about, like I used to, I played corn, like I mentioned, 
And corn had to basically charge all the time. ABC. Yeah. And what else are you there? <laughs> and yeah, exactly. What, what would you be doing other than wanting to get over there with your, <laughs> your flaming flail going into a unit of mummies? I used to love that. Uh, but going on, I don't want to, don't want to segue too much. Uh, but the, people would always think that the, oh, well, I'll just block you off. I'll funnel you into certain areas. And I think people honestly feel that way. They think they're going to do it, but that's part of the the thrill and the strategy of, of a player is to figure out, A, how to do that, but also how to avoid that and how to make those obstacles less of an obstacle to you as a player. That's part of the fun, I think. And that was something that always attracted me to this. Uh, but it has gotten a little bit easier. So the movement phase is broken up into four different categories. Declare charges and charge reactions charge moves, compulsory moves, and then remaining moves. Compulsory moves, you know, sometimes things have to happen in a certain way. Um, used to be Goblin Fanatics, you know, would always have to go to move some way, move randomly or whatever. You need, um, what's some other things? There's some Skaven stuff that did that. I'm sure there's there's a lot of different examples, but compulsory moves, sometimes you don't get to control the full movement of some of your pieces because they're like out of control war machines or Yeah, or there's, there's like momentum. Uh, some of the chariots, like the monsters would go crazy. Mm. Um, it reminds me like chaos and the, the, uh, hell cannons, if they went crazy mm. or something, that, they'd, they'd yeah. start, yeah, that kind of stuff was fun, funny. Yeah. It was, uh, and in addition to that, it was like the, the, the doom wheel, the hell pit abomination, I know. Um, also the mangler squigs used to, used to be like, well, I'm just going <laughs> to, I essentially, you get to point them in a direction of your choice and then they just move as far as they move. You do <laughs> <laughs> I used to. It used to be so good. I was just pulling the ripcord and just letting the the lawnmower go. So some of the charge reactions: stand and shoot. Uh, you know, just like that. If a, if a unit has a ranged attack, they can stand and attempt to fire at the oncoming charging unit, or they can flee and get out of there. Uh, when a unit chooses to flee from a charge, it flees directly away from the charging unit. Pivot mm-hmm. the unit above its about its center uh, so that it's facing directly away from the center of the charging enemy unit. So you had to I had to mentally rewrite how they've spelled center in this book in my brain <laughs> well, I could have spelled correctly <laughs> oh, oh, let's go <laughs> after pivoting the unit makes an immediate flea move uh, flea, and these are of course these types of of um, moves are described in the book. Uh, should a fling unit not run far enough, it may be run down and destroyed by the charging unit. Mm. Yeah, it could be a could be an issue. One of the biggest things I'll say about the difference between um, this game and just about every other game that you could be playing at the moment is that the fact that the charge phase is the first thing you do in, in, in the turn, essentially. There is a kind of a, a, a pseudo command phase, called the strategy phase now, where you'll you'll lay out some buffs, you'll do some bits and pieces, you'll you know do some auras maybe or whatever, but then you charge. So your whole turn, your whole turn is setting up for the fact that the first thing your opponent's going to do is possibly punch you in the mouth. You know, and the whole that 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 is why this game is will will feel fundamentally different to everything every, everything else you play because unlike AOS and 40k, you, you where you you move then you shoot then you charge. Um, now you charge and then you you know you shoot then you you, you fight um so even though you charge and your first thing will do will be making combat you don't fight until the end of the turn so you charge try and get off the buffs and then you fight so you are in combat before you know if you have the buff you need to win the combat possibly or before you know if they're, they're debuffed enough that you will guarantee you win and you charge and then you know if you failed or not before you shoot before you do everything else and that is why this is going to feel possibly a shock to the system but i think this may this this is one of the biggest reasons i feel like this is the most tactical game you could you could possibly play because when 
your whole turn is predicated setting up your next series of charges. And then the first thing you do is charge. And then you have all the information to try and set up the next turn charges or avoid your opponents. It just gets so good. It gets so crunchy. It gets so spicy. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I, I think you hit on something there about the different pace of the game. Uh, charge mm. moves too. You have to roll randomly to see how, how far you charge. So we're kind of all used to that part. But what we aren't used to is if you fail that charge, you kind of just kind of putter out there a little bit. Like you yes, actually do you some stumble moving. forward. Yeah. Yeah. You become easy to charge for your opponent. Uh, so there's, I like that little bit of risk there uh, that is... Well, what the risk of we're describing it is what is what you just detailed is that when your opponent mm. then gets to do their turn, you're now in this maybe potential predicament. Yeah, and you you don't charge as as far as you used to. Um, in previous, uh, as probably in eighth edition, the most recent you know edition that Games Workshop had of this similar system, uh, you would charge two d six plus your movement. You no longer charge that far. There are ways and means to 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 get close to charging that far, but um, the charge move now is did, did, where is it's the, d6 distance. plus your movement value yeah or it's 2d6 take the highest oh right 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 units. Yeah. possibly even 3d6 take the highest um or you know re-rolls and plus ones and plus twos but there used to be there used to be cases in pre in previous editions where you could be you know executing you know 18 inch charges pretty reliably and stuff like that uh where you'd be movement eight plus 3d6 take the highest two with a re-roll or a plus um and yeah you would just just yeet across the table really really <laughs> well um and now it's not going to be as much. It's not going to be as much. There's going to be more turns of positioning and jostling. Um, and then the fights are not going to be as punishing as they used to be. So we're going to see a bit more of a grindy, nuanced game rather than what what 8th edition felt like at least. And uh, a little bit of the uh, some of the other versions of the game that have spawned since was jostle, jostle, jostle. One big turn game over is is what a lot of a lot of um, old fantasy you know high level games felt like, um, and now it's going to be position go charge fight win position charge fight win position charge fight win and I think it's going to make you know a lot more of a, a fleshed out full turn you know f six turn five turn experience rather than jostle 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 pink sunned then I got charged and I lost the game. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, pink sunned. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what that spell is. What 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 leader what um. What stat check would uh, Pink Sun be? Purple Sun was initiative. The fashion? Far, fashion far check? Off. Far <laughs> off in uh, yeah. fashion check. Fashion check. This sounds right. Yeah. Pass a fashion check, please. No. The yellow pants, no. I mean, obviously, the Bretonians have that uh, under control. Though. Yeah, they would. Oh, it would be a pageantry check. Yeah. That's more fantasy. <laughs> Your um, banners are unpainted. Yeah, we, we go the into table. the compulsory moves. We're just kind of describing how that works. Uh, fleeing units, then, you know, units that have failed to rally continue to, to book it during the compulsory moves, too. That's one of those things that, that, that comes up, probably will come up more often than maybe a, you know, a fanatic going around there. Uh, then you can do things in the your, the remaining moves, can march your units. Uh, basically, if you, you get a little bit extra, if there's uh, no enemies within certain ranges, and then the manu maneuvers. This is this is the part that I think is a little bit a little bit easier than it than it has been in the past. You it kind of goes into detail about how you like the the point that you pick and how you maneuver from. It gives you some pictures and that kind of mm. stuff. But then it also goes to talk about how look if you go off the board a little bit, whatever you know. That, the degree that in love. which you go and off the board. What they've called it as well, they called it the end of the world. Yeah. <laughs> the the rule is called uh, the ends of the world because that's what we used to treat the end, the, the the battle edge, the the, the edge of the table. It's a well defined concept. We still do that today with 40k. We and, do. And I think. Well, in 40k, it's enshrined in the rule. 
book, no part of any model can ever, you know, go off the table. If it, unless it's an aircraft, and any part of an aircraft goes off the table, that thing is straight into strategic reserve. Um, and so if this one says, nah, the table edge isn't the end of the table, you can't end any part of your model off the table, but if a maneuver would take you off the table and then you would end the maneuver completely back on the table, that's totally well, fine. The corner, specifically the corner, the is corner, perfectly yeah. acceptable uh, for a corner of a unit to cross beyond the edge of the battlefield during a maneuver provided the unit is able to end its movement completely upon the battlefield. Yeah, I think that's a fantastic rule. Fantastic it, addition. It's going to cause a little bit of debate, I think, from uh, it is. players. What is a corner? <laughs> but at the same time, I'm happy that it exists, and uh, I think we can all agree the corner is obviously just a little tip, right? Oh yeah, for sure. It's just the first three to six inches of the unit. <laughs> <laughs> well, larger models have larger corners, don't they? That's right. That's right. Yeah, how big's your base? You got a unit of blood how crushers, piece of you know. <laughs> But it is cool that it's there and it's addressed, and I like that because what that what that exactly. does is it allows a little bit of more permissiveness in this this style of movement, which I think it can be frustrating to some players. Correct, because certain situations because what you because there's many situations where you can almost checkmate an opponent's unit using the board edge because um, you would put like let's say I had just a little. Uh, if Ogre is a saber tusk, a single model unit, and it would march up, and there's a unit that is like, let's say, an inch away, you know, from a, the the side of the table, I would march up, and I would put a unit um, like literally an inch away from the side of them, so they couldn't move sideways to pivot around it, and then I would just march a ultra deadly unit that didn't want to risk failing a charge because if it failed the charge, they could maneuver around it, and I would just march them an inch away right in front. Now, previously, there was nothing that unit could do to escape that. They could reform and they wouldn't get out of the charge arc. They could, you know, turn around or change their facing, uh, but there's nothing they could do to avoid, you know, getting absolutely destroyed next turn. This gives them a way to it means to do that because it always felt bad. It felt awkward. It felt like I shouldn't I shouldn't be able to checkmate people like that. Um, if this was a real battlefield, they would have recourse. They would have options. Now there's a little bit of room. Well, we do play. I mean, this is an abstraction. Any game is an abstract, but now there's a little bit of more wiggle room in there, which will take some of that that feel bad out, which is always cool. Um, we. We've talked about uh, ranks and flanks, and we haven't specifically addressed it, but there's also your unit will have a rear, like a defined rear, because uh, you, you will have a defined facing for your unit as well. So if you are charged in the rear or the flanks, your opponent has advantages against you. So that is another part of that kind of layered strategy. And, you know, when we're talking about, you know, maybe you're being risky or having to do something for a specific other type of objective or whatever, you may be exposing yourselves to these reared or flank charges, which is bad. I'll just go and I'll summarize. That can be bad for you. <laughs> yeah, it could be bad. Well, the game is called a rank and flank, a rank and flank because there are so many incentives and reasons to want to get into the, the side of a unit. You take away less attacks uh, coming back at you versus attacks that are going into the unit. Um, you dis can disrupt them and you know take away some of their bonuses, and then you are just better at attacking them than they than they are you, uh, as as I said. Um, and also, you're more likely to break them, make them run away, run them down, stuff like that. But of course, that's a reward of maneuver. Like, oh, know, oh yeah, it, it is completely. No one's just going to let you get them in the flank, right? Well, it's, it's sometimes. Yeah, well, at least you, you endeavor to not. That is for sure. <laughs> yeah, but uh, and always when we talk about games like this, getting flanks, get, getting flank charges, getting rear charges is one of the best skill expressions in the game. 
is one of the best ways to you know show skill uh, at this game because the the movement phase is all encompassing it's all powerful because the movement phase is the charge phase as well and so if if you master that phase of the game and you're able to execute flanks and rear charges you just it, it's it's a magical feeling i highly encourage everybody to to get off a, a rank or a rear charge sometime soon you'll just feel amazing about your life cloud nine real of charging chaos knights into the side of like a unit of i don't know goblins or something yeah it's exhilarating just like pelinor fields baby <laughs> <laughs> oh man Oh, running down the foe, where we talk about the, you know, the fleeing apart. Once a charge target has completed its flee move, uh, the charging unit makes its charge move as normal. If the charging unit makes contact with the fleeing unit, uh, it, it will wheel to a line as normal. Uh, caught by the enemy, the fleeing unit is hacked to pieces and immediately removed from play. So, you know, it's rough out there when you're a fleeing unit. Uh, but when I mentioned that that, that becomes an obstacle for your opponent, your opponent would probably not choose to do that on every occasion. Sometimes you do want to get to charge them because, you know, they have a high chance of rallying on their turn or whatever, or if they have a high chance of rallying, so you might want to charge them. Uh, but you've also sometimes kind of taken yet another unit out of the fight because you, they've had to go after that fleeing unit because they were blocking maybe something juicier on the other side of it. So the maneuvering, like Red always says, moving with intent is That's very right. important in this game. Like it probably the most, the most important in this game of any game that has ever existed. Of any game that's ever existed? Any <laughs> game that's a bold claim. Yeah. that has ever existed, maneuvering is important in the old world. <laughs> I, I mean, I will say it's important. I don't know about more than any other game, but no, it's pretty important. He's, he's right. Any game. No. When you're maneuvering <laughs> these giant blocks of knights, which is going to be like a third of your army. Remember like blood knights or whatever? Oh, yeah. I got a lot of cold ones I'm ready to put back on the table whenever they start talking about that. So... <laughs> Uh, yeah, it could be super important to to not have them kind of spinning off, derping over in the corner, you know. Like, Go figure. <laughs> it can happen. Uh, shooting phase, uh, you know, check range, check lines of sight, you know. Uh, is this going to be very familiar? Who can shoot? Uh, this is important is that units cannot split fire. Units cannot split their shooting between two or more targets. Therefore, any models within a unit that do not have line of sight to the target or are mm -hmm. not within range of the target cannot shoot and generally speaking unless you have a special rule otherwise which is usually volley fire um only shooting in the front rank uh yeah volley fire yeah that is a rule on the unit i believe right yeah yeah uh, volley fire reads that when a unit with a special rule makes a shooting attack half of the models in each rank other than the front rank um or front two ranks if the unit is on a hill uh rounding up can shoot in addition to those, uh, I do. Man, I love that heals matter and stuff like that. Anyway, um, a unit cannot volley fire if it is moved for any reason, though. Uh, yep. Uh, the the whole concept of hitting on a seven plus is back. Yes. <laughs> uh, but let, let's talk about before we get to that for just one quick. The second is that the uh, you roll a hit, roll a wound, make armor saves. You know, remove casualties, make a panic check. Seems real, real simple. Uh, then we talk about yeah. all these other things here. Uh, to hit modifiers, if you moved, you're a negative one firing at long range meaning you know uh, you are in, S in excess of a uh, certain distance uh from uh, the weapons the the weapons profile neg one uh standing and shooting you're to neg one you're behind partial cover or the target is behind full cover all modifiers to the shots yeah it's wild so uh, uh seven is still roll a six then roll a four yeah 
Yes, it is. Yeah. yeah. So sometimes because of those net negatives, you are maybe put into a situation to where you might need greater than a six uh, mm. to to roll. So it's not just seven; it's seven plus. So if you need to hit on a seven because of these modifiers, you would roll a d six, and any sixes you would then roll those again. And if if you needed a seven, you needed on a four plus, an eight, a five plus, a nine, a six. But if you needed a ten, that is un- unfortunately just impossible. And um, am, am I correct? Just looking at the Dwayne chart, like. You know, seventh edition, forty k, and you know, uh, there there are some, and, and and I suppose Horace Heresy now, there are some weapons that just can't hurt other things, like uh, strength one can't hurt toughness seven, strength yeah. two can't hurt toughness eight or better, strength three toughness nine, strength four toughness ten, strength five can hurt everything at least on a six or better, and everything better than that, of course. I think this is the old chart. It is. I believe it is the old chart, word for word, dot for dot. <laughs> um, there aren't any dots or words on this chart. <laughs> equal strength, I mean, equal toughness is a four. Uh, then it goes five and six, and then it stays six for, for several rows. Yes. How do we feel about the uh, the weapons, the old weapon skill uh, chart being back? You know, It's been a while since we had that. I mean, I think it was... First in Age of Sigma, when we first just got to this is the hit roll and the wound roll of the unit. Uh, yep. Yeah, and now we have uh, we got to compare the weapon skill, see which one of us is the more better. Uh, so that's in that we're you know the combat phase. Yeah, you, you look at the weapon skill. So if the weapon skill of the attacker, let's say, is a six going into a, some a unit that's a weapon skill of four, then he threes to hit. It doesn't quite mimic the uh, roll wound, but in that same vein. Yeah. So it's um essentially if you are better than them in any way, it's threes. If you are twice plus one, it is twos and vice versa. So if, uh, you know, weapon skill three, weapon skill three is a four, weapon skill three, weapon skill four is, is a four, um, and but weapon skill three versus weapon kill seven is a five. So there are definitely ways and means to to get to those some of those breakpoints, uh, which are pretty exciting. So well, to, to me, to ask uh, you, to answer your question though, it makes me feel like the heroes are more heroic. I mean, if you're when you know when let's let's go in with the Lord of the Rings examples. You know when Sauron is there standing in front of all the the Numenorians or whatever and just bashes about fifty of them out of, right out of his way. I feel like he's got a weapon skill 10 and they've got a weapon skill uh, three and that's why they're having a hard time yep. coming back on it. And then Isildur used all his, uh, his uh, hero points and got off one little slice. <laughs> but it was in the right spot. Good old hero points. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you get what I'm saying. I think, I think that, that, that uh, this chart helps some of those big epic figures seem a little bit more Feel. epic sometimes yeah. yeah but like a regular you know human or baseline human that has usually that they're, they're in the weapon skill three range um is still going to be hitting the overwhelming majority of opponents on a four it's uh, yeah. which is good they're still they've still got a 50 50 like if you are a basic human who has been trained to fight you will hit most things on a four and equivalents, you know, thereafter. Of course, you know, some gobos hit on, you know, weapon skill two, some, you know, elves weapon skill four. Um, but yeah, I, I like that. I like that baseline three. It's is pretty good, like ubiquitously. Yep, yep, digging on that. But there's there's no longer just a you know hit on a certain. I shouldn't say no longer because last time you were playing this game, this is how this worked. <laughs> yeah, it, it's correct. <laughs> For as like game concepts of what people might be familiar with now, if they're jumping into this fresh. Uh, there, there is this now chart you look at. It's nothing that it's. I don't think it's a cumbersome chart. I think it's something that you kind of pick up on the the, the very quickly. Of, yeah, yeah, pr- pretty quick. Um, another big change in the fight phase, which they did tell us about a, a while about in one of the almanacs, and they've reiterated here in, in the section we're looking at at the moment. Um, the whole front rank fights. You know, if, despite regardless of the frontage of the units, because what used to happen a lot of the time is I'd you know some 
with a Chaos Lord that had a two plus, a one plus rerollable armor save back in the day, <laughs> would charge it out of its unit into um, you know another Doesn't unit. Doesn't that sound like only... so much fun though? Can you just? Oh, it's right, what I live for. <laughs> yeah, would charge out of their unit, and so that Paul's means the unit didn't the charge. Right now. <laughs> the unit didn't charge. The single model charged out of the unit into your unit that didn't have any, you know, rend or AP, and they would just sit there all game because th- only three of is a cavalry base. Only three of your guys got to fight them, or and, and the rank behind them, and you just there all game, and it just kept you there all game in your big block of you know halberdiers or whatever swordsmen. And now the whole front rank fights, and and, and it's um, you know suspending the difference belief that the whole front rank would envelop the front rank of the opponent which sounds a lot more like what would happen the <laughs> macedonian phalanx would be like should we break formation and just kill these dudes no nah, stay where you are mate we're good no that was <laughs> <laughs> look yeah it's get you it's very formation back then you got to stay tight <laughs> until you break and then it's you know chaos yeah oh we're jumping ahead a little bit but to, to close out this this show we'll talk about like the combat results we talk about that it's detrimental to get charged in certain situations so once every model engaged in the fight that we're talking we're talking about close combat fighting the charge element of it has fought you must determine which side has won the round of combat if one side has been completely wiped out you know maybe it's obvious uh, the other side is automatically the winner regardless of the rules that follow combat results score to determine your combat result score consult the table below and calculate how many combat result points your unit scored so uh, for every unsaved wound inflicted is one rank bonuses is uh, one per rank do you have a standard uh, do you have a, a special battle standard uh, did you attack in the flank did you attack in the rear were you on the high ground Anakin <laughs> it gives you a plus one <laughs> Plus one point for every excess wound and then other bonuses as applicable. And I'm sure they've got that in there because certain units are going to have certain bonuses or certain pieces of terrain have bonuses and whatever. Uh, so you add it up and whoever has the most wins that combat. And then that affects what you have to take with your uh, your other test. That's something you get used to also. But you do have to kind of what, what we would always do in the past is keep the models to the side. Yeah. So you, can, you always know what the count is for. Your break yeah, models that you have to take yeah. at, at the end. But I know we're probably riding super high on the nostalgia feels with this, but there's been enough in here that I think is, as I really, it's kind of taken some of that old edge off, but you get a lot of the same, like that, the texture, most mm. of the same texture of the game, but I think it's a little bit more accessible. Yeah, look, so we made the comparison in the green room that this is, I guess, the comparison being the. 40k to Horus Heresy complexity, like similar similar base mechanics, but there's just a bit more depth and crunchiness added on there. And I guess the comparison would be AOS to, to Fantasy now, as in like um, here is a game that there is a lot to get into if you want, but the definitely getting into it has been made easier. And so I think they've done a really good job. And looking at some of these old models, older models in this book, you know, with with crisp new pictures, you know, just. They're, they're still gorgeous. Still gorgeous. Absolutely. I'm actually really looking forward to getting a free moment when I'm not super thirsty to learn the the rules mechanics. I sit down and absorb the new fluff, the new setting, the the players in this new game. Oh, well, that's our show. Yeah, that's our show for this week. Let us know what you are thinking about it. You are excited about the game. If, you're, if you held on to your old armies out there, which ones did you hold on to? And are you looking forward to getting them back on the table again? Because uh, I am, you know, as a, as a Sylvaneth player, I, I played largely, you know, the War Dancers and the Dryads, kind of like that Forest Demony aspect of it uh, back in the day. So I'm curious if I can get them on the table. And Do you have an Orion? I, I don't have an Orion anymore. 
All right, we need to get we need to get Paul and Orion. It's not the the journey isn't complete. <laughs> this is a great model though, back you know the horn and the uh, the spear and stuff. The dog and the doggos, yeah, 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 little master of the hunt type uh, pose and, and theme. Yes, hey, all I said, excited about this, and I hope you all are too. And if you are excited for any reason, let us know. Look forward to hearing about it. I also look forward to talking to y'all next week. Can't wait. Happy New Year, everybody. Take care. Bye, Boy. everybody. I said, but I already subscribed. You better do it too.